Heroes this week. Uh, Mark and I decided to go a little bit. Fuck it, everybody else is talking about The Hobbit, let's talk about something else. So, we are discussing a film that came out in the UK a couple of weeks back uh, to uh, no box office whatsoever, it would appear. Uh, <laughs> um, the uh, feature directorial debut of The Rizza, it's the man with the iron fists. Uh, we will then get into our one old one new and we will then um, have a look at our discussion topic which this week is the BBFC's uh, publication of a new report of theirs into public perception of sexual violence and basically whether the BBFC are going back to the bad old days or maybe, just maybe there are certain people on the internet who need to calm down and take a breath uh, we'll then move into our uh, the first part of our new marathon, and uh, this was Mark's idea. So, Mark, do you want to uh, tell the people who we're going to be covering? Uh, we're going to be covering everyone's favourite slacker director, Richard Linklater. Uh, we're going to move through sort of his. We're going to avoid his more well-known films like um, the Before series and uh, School of Rock, and we're going to focus on what some of the ones that you might not have seen, as well as covering Dazed and Confused, which I'm sure everybody has seen. Yeah, and we will be starting with Dazed and Confused, so getting the kind of the most obvious one out of the way, I suppose. Um, so, uh, how can people contact us? Dude and a monkey at gmail.com. You can tweet us at Dude and a monkey. Um, and I think that's probably about it. I will just say, if um, I don't know how the recording comes out, but if I sound different today, uh, I'm recording it in a different location. Uh, I am recording on in our lounge today, so I don't know if the acoustics are any different, but uh, we shall see. But uh, Mark, anything to say, or shall we get into it? Let, let, let's get into it. Um, as usual, iTunes reviews are always very nice, um, so get them going, um, unless they're bad, and if they're bad, then go fuck yourself. There we go. Yes, um, absolutely. Uh, so, um, let's let's get into it. So, uh, main review, well, the review of the week. Uh, 
I, I think I get main review from Cinerama. I used to say that all the time. So, um, <laughs> but no, we only do one review now. And uh, this is, like we said uh, just a minute ago, uh, the Riz's directorial debut, the um, kung fu exploitation throwback grindhousey thingy, co-written by Eli Roth. This is the man with the iron fists. forge a weapon you need three things the right metal temperatures over 1400 degrees and someone who wants to kill hidden jungle village we got all three power belongs to no one until it is seized through sex and violence. Everyone's so afraid of these men. Are you? No. A government shipment is only days away. Gentlemen! Warriors! We'll see who's left standing and who's on their knees. So, the man with the iron fists. Um... As always, folks, and sorry if you're getting sick of us saying this, we will stop one day. Spoilers throughout for this and marathon discussion. You have been warned. Mark, what did you think of The Man with the Iron Fists? Uh, well, I was quite looking forward to this because um, I'm a, a huge fan of um, Wu-Tang Clan and the RZA. Um, so I went into it already with a little bit of kind of... It was going to get a bit of a pass from me uh, because... I didn't really expect too much as a director from them. I think it was he got the work as a director and got the people because of his association with Tarantino and uh, Eli Roth. And it received a bit of a battering from some people. But I'll be honest, I, I really enjoyed it. It's, it, it's, it's certainly, certainly a, a, a homage to so many different types of... Um, of martial arts movies and kung fu movies and grindhouse movies and it, it, it very much hits certain bits and mashes it together and throws this you know this cool beats soundtrack at it and it, it very much seems like the Riz has gone you know fuck it I, I might not get a chance to make another film so I'm just gonna I'm gonna go for it and he's had all these ideas and he's he's kind of gone for it with them and you know if he's wanted to blow something up he's blown it up um, and I, I I thought it was really good you know it's it's not it's not amazing uh, but it's it's certainly enjoyable a lot more enjoyable than what I think some people are giving it credit for um, how did you get on with it Yeah I um. I, I, I quite enjoyed it myself, actually. Um, even though, like, like you basically said, you know, there are there are problems with it, and um, I mean, I, I mean, I, I I'm going to be very positive about it. Well, pretty damn positive about the film. So I'll, I'll just mention one thing straight off the bat. I mean, like, I I I'd heard that um, the first cut of the film was supposed to be uh, four hours long, apparently. And, <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's been trimmed to just over ninety, and. The thing is, in a way, you can kind of see where the extra material would come from because this is a very, very busy film. There are an mm. awful lot of players 
and you know at the end of it, it, it it's like it does this um kind of credits thing where it like it's got all the cast kind of like showing off their moves or just lines of theirs or something like that and um they're uh like guys doing these like things that it says somebody something as something something i was like i barely remember this person in the film but i bet there was like 10 15 minutes where that like person you barely remember had some sort of subplotty thing going on yeah like uh, I, bronze lion was was barely in it at all yet seems to have an end credit bit yeah ex- exactly and it, it just like i imagine that the rizza originally had this fucking epic going on because there's like flashback stuff to uh the blacksmith's um uh, uh kind of a past origin yeah, yeah. and I, I imagine like there, there there's an awful lot more of of that whereas here it, it's trimmed down quite i mean it's trimmed down quite effectively i mean like the backstory stuff works and it's placed in a in an appropriate part in the story but there's just a lot of factions there's and i wish it in a way i wish it was pared down but considering how much there obviously was like extraneous material the fact it actually worked as well as it did in this runtime i i was i was rather pleasantly surprised and again like you say because of an awful lot of sniffy reviews um but it it just I, I I thought it was very very fun and there's that's 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 it yeah it it it, it is a tremendous amount of, of of fun I think the problem is that's what the movie is supposed to be I think if you go into it with this hypercritical of, of view of looking at it as being something more than it's attempting to be you'll notice fa- um, failures in it but it's not trying to be anything more than than very indulgent fun and I mean I think. You know, in the end of the day, it, like you say, it is the RZA, like, putting everything in that you can think of because it might be the, the only film he makes. And that's, that's quite an admirable way of doing things. But at the same time, I have to wonder how much better this film would be if he had a co-director. Um, if he, if yeah. he had someone who, like, was there saying, yeah, all right, maybe that's just, let, let, let's just like pare down on this. Let's like focus our strengths. Like in a funny way, it kind of reminds me of um, uh, odd comparison, but um, Paul, the uh, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost film in that without Edgar Wright, it felt like they were catering to their poorer yeah. kind of, uh, their, their, like they were letting the, these things kind of creep in like the, the, the more indulgent fanboy wanky like and but very lazy and pull kind of thing whereas with the man uh, with the iron fist it 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 could have done with a surer hand and also in the action scenes because the action scenes are quite choppy and the, it, it surprised me that the rizza is such like he's obviously a massive fan of exploitation films and martial arts films but it seems like he could have learned something from just just hold a shot, just let the people in the frame do that do the movement. The camera doesn't have to be, and the edits don't have to be the ones doing the movement. I thought. Yeah, I mean, I think the in terms of the the the, the fight scenes and the the action bits is it is it, it is almost ninety percent wire work. Mm. Um, I've never seen a film, and I'm including the Matrix films in this, um, that has that level of wire work. And it's not that it's bad wire work, it's very intentional wire work, and you can see that it's like that. But it works. 
but it is there is a lot of it. Um, it is it completely defies the laws of physics. This film. Yeah, but I mean, like that. I, 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 you know, I think that I think that's fitting, and it just it kind. Of, oh yeah, you know, it, it, it is. It, it is what it is. But I just I don't know. Like I just wish it kind of chilled it out a bit. But I mean. <laughs> But I, I mean, I suppose. But then the cast as well. It it's kind of weird that I I think there's one actor who so overshadows everyone with a bizarre Orson Welles ish. I'm going to eat everything on set and just turn <laughs> up dishevelled and do whatever the fuck I want. And Russell Crowe is like I think the thing is I think he's in on the joke. I think he is purposefully playing it up. Um, well, him and him and the Rizzo are actually quite close friends, aren't they? I, I, yeah, and, uh, and he and Eli Roth like are constantly having a like go at each other on Twitter in kind of like an affectionate way. Um, and I like that it looked like it was Russell Crowe just thinking, "I'm going to take a paycheck, have some fun, and just mong out and just do this character." Like the bit where he he says loose to Lucy Lou something like. I could give you the baby's arm, or, or it... yes, yes, he does, doesn't he? It, 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 it's um, how about I, how about I introduce you to the baby's arm, or I slip you the baby's arm inside you later, or something like that. It's it's just brilliant. He, he is so like you say, he, I, I, yeah, you're right. It's it's Orson Welles esque um, is cross bonusness, but apparently, um, apparently, Crow. It, Barely even got paid for this movie. He did it as, as like a a, a favour um, of look. If if I do this movie, you'll get twenty million rather than ten million to make the movie. And I, just on the basis that they can sell it off my name. And and good on him for that. And the, I mean, it does look like he's having fun. It it it, it doesn't look like um I, I I don't know. Like I I kind of imagine like um when. I'm coming out with weird tangents tonight, but Scary Movie 2, I remember when it was reported that at the beginning, the Exorcist spin-off of that, it was going to be Marlon Brando as the Exorcist. And it kind of like just the, the idea of an actor coming in and just not knowing what the fuck they're doing and just looking fat and gross. <laughs> Where, but with Russell Crowe, he's looking fat and gross, but he's entirely in on the fat and grossness and he's playing it up. Yeah, to me, he, he does look very fat in this, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 there's, there's a scene very early on where he's kind of... Because a lot of the time he's wearing quite a lot of clothing. There's a scene early on, the, the just before the, the, the baby's arm scene, where you get to see him in all his glory, and he he is he looks big. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it like... But, I mean, good on him. Barely does any action stuff, but he's got charisma coming out of his arse in this he's just fun which is good because he counterbalances the rizza who bless him could not act his way out of a fucking paper bag no he can't and a lot of people and a lot of the critics i've been i've been seeing have been saying that you know he's he's not very charismatic as a leading man and all this lot he's he's not the leading man in this film he's he was the voiceover the film is called the man with the iron fist but he's He's not really the central character in the film. There are a number of central characters that kind of that kind of stick around. I mean, I, I, what I would say is, I, 
if this comes well, obviously, when this comes out on Blu-ray, if there is a a director's cut or a longer cut, I I would be interested to watch it. I don't think it will be as good as this cut. I think there'll be it will because I mean uh, even at sort of ninety five minutes, this felt like it 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 was the right length. Mm-hmm. If it had been a bit longer, you'd have started going, all right, this has got, you know, you've now thrown way too much at the screen. Um, And, you know, you you don't get chance for it to, you know, for some of it to fall off because it it, it goes so quickly. Um, If it was any longer, you would start to see bits dropping away and getting sort of tiresome. Um, But then again, there was a few moments where, I, I did think I, I, I could quite easily have spent more time with those as characters, like the the Gemini soldiers. Yeah. Um, the who appear brother and sister, I think, and they were they basically fight in some kind of weird kind of synchronized fighting where they fight by locking together and like spinning each other round. I could I could have watched that for another good sort of ten minutes. Yeah, Easy. A- absolutely. And I mean, it, it's yeah. And I, I could again, I could imagine an earlier cut of this having more build up to them because you're kind of like it's they're kind of built up as being that ultimate badasses. But then in like the first fight they're in on screen, they both get killed. And, and, yeah, and it, it, sorry, go on. It just, it just, it, 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 yeah. I, I could quite easily have spent a lot more time with them. Yeah, I mean that. That's I mean I. Yeah, I would be up for watching a longer cut of this. I, I, I like just see how it goes. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I. It's just like it, it's one of those occasions where I'm at a seven out of ten. I kind of want to give it an eight, just because I, I, I quite liked. It was almost like the parts were more than the sum. Like I, I, I just there's I had quite a lot of goodwill for the thing that even though it is ramshackly and even though it does it does slightly fall apart at the end I, I i think it's still i was in i was locked in for like pretty yeah. much the entire thing i mean what what i will say about it as well is it, it looks incredible mm. um i mean for also as well for i mean the, the place is called jungle village for such what a small village it has an and a, a pretty big whorehouse. Yeah, yeah. For essentially this this small little village, um, there's loads of little kind of like I mean, it is it's very much a visual film, and you can see that. I mean, there is that has you know he's been sort of mentored by Tarantino, and you know he spent all the time of Kill Bill and Kill Bill Two, and Inglorious Bastards, and a lot of the time of Django on set with. Um, with Tarantino, he also spent a lot of time on set with Robert Rodriguez as well, uh, and he's been he's been studying to to make a film as a director for a number of years. And like I say, he's kind of gone right, and he's definitely got an idea and a style of his own. I mean, I thought the opening credits were fantastic, awesome. very cool. Um, they looked great. They have this great kind of grindhouse kung fu aesthetic and he's kind of he's made like this very sort of western inspired uh, kung fu movie with a very sort of grindhouse and slightly noir tendencies all sort of mashed together and sort of throw all these genres together to create what you know looks really nice yes it's not it, it very much knows what it is it's very knowing I don't think there is going to say 
you know, ah, oh, this film is is, poet, is a poetic masterpiece and it should be nominated for awards. He just wanted to make a fucking kick-ass action film. And, and, and yeah, I think a large part of it, even though, again, like, I think the action direction didn't quite work for me, but for, for the large, large part of it, I think he succeeded. And I don't know, like, this got a really, really small theatrical run in the UK, like my local Cineworld. Um, and it's a 15-screen uh, Cineworld. I mean, like, they're quite a big multiplex. They played one show in a day. But fair play to them, actually. They're, they're playing it this week as well. They played it last week, and they've actually kept it on, which I didn't expect them to. Uh, but well, it, it, it feels like one that's going to get a lot more viewing. When this fucker hits Netflix, oh yeah, people are going to be all over it. I think, I mean, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm very surprised it even got a, a, a limited theatrical release over here. I, I thought it would be one of those ones where it'd get a very small theatrical release in America just based on the fact that it's part of the Quentin Tarantino Presents. Um, and it would it would get a, you know, a, a strong Blu-ray release over here. It'd be heavily backed on a Blu-ray release. But, you know, you've, you've had a, a decent enough sort of theatrical release not a massive theatrical release but it's, it's had some kind of input into it yeah uh, yeah 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 no quite i mean um i don't know the amount of films we don't seem to get these days it um i don't know it, it, it was a very pleasant surprise but um yeah yeah sorry go on but it is it's, i think part of it is because you know we're now at the point where stuff's getting released so you've got to find space for for instance at the moment you've got to find space for the hobbit um put the hobbit in 2d 3d 3d high frame rate and you know you've got to have it so it's it's on at different times so you know you, that in a lot of cinemas that can be taking anything from three to seven screens up so for places to be able to fit this in it, it's quite good yeah quite and i mean like oh god i mean from this week on as well, I mean, like, anything but the biggest films are fucked. I mean, Life of Pi. Life of Pi is going to be huge. The amount of advertising there's been for that, it, it is going to be huge. It's PG rated, it's 2D, and it's 3D. And then you've got Jack Reacher on Boxing Day. You know, it's mm. like, I fucking, I mean, like, again, tangent, but I bet Warner Brothers are very, very glad they pushed Great Gatsby now, because there's a lot of shit out in the cinema this Christmas for a wide audience. Yeah, I, I think it, it was it was a wise idea to 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 kind of put that back and have it as their like one of their summon movies. Yeah, yeah, quite. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think that's probably us done with my Man with the Iron Fist. I'd say we um, both had a good, solid time with it. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I had, I had a great time. I, had, I do have one question. Uh, you know the David Basu's um, character. Yes, um, I think he was called Bron- Brass Body. Yeah, right. Um, so when anything ever touched him, um, he, he had this weird reaction where he'd become like brass mm. uh, and nothing could, what is it? How do you get tattooed? That's a good question. Because that, that baffled the shit out of me. I was like, how do you get tattooed? Is it like, and it seems to be like he could turn it on or off, but then when when somebody tries to stick to their neck and he ain't noticing, it automatically kicks in. So that kind of, it kind of I was like how, and I spent a good sort of five minutes thinking, I just and it, when you're doing that, you sort of start thinking, I'm actually really quite involved in this. Yeah, quite. I, I don't know. I mean, I'd maybe say maybe it's because he allows it, whereas the brass thing is a defense mechanism. Yeah, let's go with that. We'll, we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> um, okay, so that's that's our uh, take on the man with the iron fists. Um, 
check it out. It's worth a go. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and when it comes out on Blu-ray, buy it, because that will look absolutely fucking stunning on Blu-ray. Yeah, when this fucker's like, in the free for 20s, I'll probably do it, actually. Oh, also, as well, what, the, the other one directorial thing I'll say about it that was very good by the RZA is he fills it with violence. There's a lot of violence. But he doesn't go the cheap route and fill it with a lot of tit shots. There is no actual nudity in this film. There's a lot of scantily clad, but there's no actual nudity, which I thought worked very well because it would have it would have just tipped it to be a little bit too cheap yeah. if we'd have filled it full of um, Asian tip shots. That's an excellent point. Fair play. Um, okay, so we'll have some uh, uh, promos. That's the word for them. And uh, we'll then move into our one old, one new. All right, I'm here with Bill Byforce and Mr. Chris to tell you a little bit about Outside the Cinema. All right, Reverend Scott, take us to church. Uh, What can we expect to find from a typical show? Two hours of just random blabber. (laughs) Uh, Is there anyone's coattails you wrote in on to popularity? I'm the guy that fucking burns the coattails and then pisses on them. You review all these exploitation, (laughs) horror, comedy, cult, and often all-around terrible movies. You must have a strong driving force that keeps you going. Ego. (laughs) I don't know if I've... Heard you say that before? Uh, yeah, I've been saying that for a while. Really? I have been saying that for a while. Also, I'm high on smack. Well, it's definitely working for you guys. Yeah. People are coming out in droves to support you on iTunes. We just the other day got a, a, a one star review on iTunes. Well, that is one. <laughs> that is one star too many. Let me tell you, the worst fucking piece of shit I've ever heard. This has been great, guys. Thanks, Scott. Oh, that was good. Oh, he's got you crying over uh, there. I'm good for the rest of the year. Nice. That was too much. GTMC live for you fresh air. Big Willie and the Samurai are at your service, breaking films down and turning them around, giving recommendations that are always on point. Visit ggtmc.com for more information. The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to the trash since 1977. Okay, so that was some promos for uh, folks we like. And we are into our one old, one new. Mark, do you want to start us off with one of them, or I'll let you pick which one. Uh, I will. Right, I will start off with my one new. Oh, please be what I think it's going to be. Right. I a few months ago, well, about six months ago, a trailer arrived for a film. Um, it's a character we've seen before, um, but it, it's a character in a new guise and almost a reboot of this character. Um, and when it was cast, um, everybody went, what? And the trailer arrived and everybody again went, what? Mm. And I watched the trailer and thought, uh, do you know what? I, that looks all right. And the film is um, Alex Cross. Now, I decided to watch this because I thought, do you know what? That looks that looks fun. It looks like it's a good, entertaining romp, and that's what I want. That's what I want from this type of film. So I thought, do you know what? I'm going to give it a go. If I get a six out of ten movie, 
I'll be fucking happy. Because sometimes you want a 6 out of 10 movie. Sometimes you want to sit down and you want to put something on and start watching it and know that quite easily you could, you know, you could go to the toilet, you could stop watching it for 10 minutes to do something or anything like that. Come back to it, sit down and continue watching it knowing that you're not going to lose any tension or any thread or anything, but you're still going to be enjoying the movie. So... So I'm going to give Alex Cross a go. And my God, it's brilliant. I mean, it is it is so, so pious and terrible and obvious and just unknowing about how bad it actually is that it, it happens to be brilliant. It is so entertaining. You've got Matthew Fox. I don't. I don't think he's playing a batshit crazy villain. I think he actually became that batshit crazy person. I don't think he knows that he's a character. I think that he just he becomes it, and he's as a performance, it's brilliant. And then you've got the other side of it, where you've got Tyler Perry, who is a terrible actor. I mean, the guy is horrendous, but seems to think he is magnificent. There's a moment where he's just come face to face with Matthew Fox's character, um, and he's because what the thing about um, Alex Cross is he's a, a doctor, he's a psychologist, and also he's, he's a police officer. And you've got um, Ed Burns, who just looks like I think you mentioned it. He looks like he's just there for the money and nothing. Every else. single line. Ed Burns says, may as well him be just, like, making a quip and then saying paycheck. Yeah, it, it might as well. And also, you've got John C. McGinley, who doesn't seem to be able to work out whether or not he's supposed to be the badass cop, uh, lieutenant, who doesn't like Alex Cross, mm-hmm. or the sympathetic one, who knows how Cross is and wants to help him get on with doing things the way he does. And he seems to flip between that in scene. That, I was like, that one scene where they've um, they've just saved the... Uh, the, the first time they meet Matthew Fox, and then Matthew Fox escapes, but it doesn't manage to kill the guy. And it starts off yeah. with him going, well done, guys, that was a really good job. And within 30 <laughs> seconds, he's reaming them out. It, it's <laughs> absolutely incredible. Because you kind of go, wait a minute, a minute ago, he was going about how great they are, and now he's talking about, it, 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 it is, and then, so then you've, got Ali, you've got Alex Cross, Tyler Perry, who starts staring out of the window going, this man's a madman, yeah. he's only interested in one thing, doing what he needs to do, he's like a machine, he'll never do it, he'll never go off this, he's almost... And you, th- and you watch him, and he's like staring out of the window, and you can see in Tyler Perry's mind, he's going, this is my Oscar clip, yeah. this is gonna be playing at the Academy Awards before I win this fucking Oscar, because of Tyler Perry, I'm great. And you watch him going, this is so bad. It is. It's almost like they're making a spoof yeah. parody without, and nobody's told him that that's what they're doing. Because it is so bad, but so brilliant at the same time. Because it, the script sort of thinks it's really intelligent, and it's like, oh, he's doing this, and we've done this, we've done this. And you're going, that that that's really fucking obvious. And that's not cinephiles will work this out. Obvious. That's 
just fucking glaringly obvious. Oh, and I don't know if you noticed this, Ian, but did did, did you notice that the that you know the film might have been sponsored by Chevrolet? Yeah, that's pretty did brutal. Notice, did you notice that at one point, right? They're in a car in a Chevrolet listening to the song Chevrolet. Okay. Yes, the lyrics to the song are driving my Chevrolet. Oh, God. Honestly, people, when you see this film, which I applaud you, please watch it because it is brilliant. Um, honestly, it is. There, there are scenes where literally the Chevrolet badge drives at you several times. They actually, they basically talk you through what the Chevrolet can do several times. And then at one point you actually get a song about driving around in your Chevrolet. That's brutal. I mean, it is fucking wonderful. But, I mean, you watched it. What did you think of it? And did you have as good a time as I did with it? Because I'll be honest, when this comes out on Blu-ray, I'll be buying it because I I couldn't see myself this becoming one of those films where I've had a few drinks and I've got home and I just, I just want to watch something, even if it's for like 40 minutes. I was pretty... I, I could see this becoming that. I was pretty much about to say that, actually. I mean, I watched this film Stone Cold Sober and I had such a good time with it that it inspired me to write um, my article for Screen Geek last week on the concept of So Bad It's Good because it... The, the thing is, I think for a so bad it's good film to truly work and to actually justify so bad it's good, the filmmakers, like you've said, the filmmakers have got to be utterly of the mind that they are making a serious film. And this is so po-faced, it's so serious, that just almost every single element in it, like it, they just somehow make this wonderful confluence of how the fuck did anyone for one second think this was so serious? I mean... Rob Cohen is basically doing, like you said on Twitter, I think, like early 90s psycho thriller stuff. Like there, there are moments where like Matthew Fox will be like talking to himself and then the screen will start juddering and it will be like flashes <laughs> of him just smiling maniacally. And it, like it, it's stupid shit like that. It's um, I, I mean, like there's a bit where Ed, like I, these long haired IT geeks uh, like, uh, yes. like Ed Burns How? starts talking to them, and Ed Burns is actually, whoa, 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 break this down in English for me, guys. It is, it's every single cliche ticked off. I mean, they 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 actually looked like you know the um, the geeks that Homer goes to college with. Yeah, the, the computer geeks. They were actually basically them, but as people. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it, sorry. It, it's, I mean, it, just down to like the the, the villain and Jean Reno's character and um, just everything. There's a there's an opening bit where um, Alex Cross goes home after he's just you know he's just taken down a bad guy and he he actually has a cup of coffee in his hand and he does the putting one leg up and his arm on his knee. Oh, that's fucking hilarious. And you watch it going, oh my fucking. God, are you serious? This is brilliant. And it's like, and he's like, he's talking to his daughter who hasn't done his homework, and then you've got his mother who lives with him telling her to go and do his homework, and he kind of goes, ha ha ha. And then she sort of shouts at him, and it, it it's just, it, you've got, like you say, every single cliche. It's like, it's like a list of them, and then she went, tick, tick. And I mean, 
as good as the first half bit is, the second half may be even better because it turns yeah. it basically turns from Tyler Perry being huggable, nice doctor man. <laughs> and there's something that happens, and I'm not I'm not going to spoil it because we I we would both say see this film just to marvel at it, but something yeah. happens. And the second half basically turns into man on fire, except without any of that actually, even like even man on fire. It's not the deepest film in the world, but even that has a fair bit of like, like repentiveness and soul searching. This is Alex Cross breaks so many fucking laws in pursuit of his own end that it's retarded. And yet he entirely gets away with it at the end of the film. Like, like nobody even questions his methods, despite the fact that the amount, like, it, 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 it's, it's insane. It's insane. And also, did you notice there is one major character who was in the first half of the film who was killed off? And I think it's not, it's barely even mentioned. It's like the bad guy, like, calls from the person's phone. And, like, that, and, like, I, oh. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Right. I don't think I do. I'm going to Skype message it to you, but... um. What, why are you Skype messaging? Right. Did you notice that they kept on referring to Alex Cross having a daughter and a son? Do we ever see the, the son? At the funeral, there is one shot of him. I was wondering yeah. about that. You see the daughter, Lord. Um, but you, yeah, but you, but you never see the son. Yes, I, I yeah, I do. Yeah, yes, it, it it is that part. It is is very much forgotten about very quickly. It, 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 you know, truly, there's, there's very little remorse or very little pining or anything from a certain character for another certain character. I was watching it and I was thinking, like, hang on a second. So where's that character gone? And then Ed Burns says something, and it's like, oh, shit, right, that character died. Yeah. Uh, right, okay, fine. I, it, it, it's 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 mind-bogglingly terrible, but at the yeah. same time, it's not a film I, ha- I can hate in the slightest. Because, and, and I mean, like, the, the good, I mean, the thing is, it, it, we've got poor reviews, it didn't really do that well at the box office. Um, even though hilariously they greenlit a sequel before this even came out, so hopefully there's going to be a sequel. It's currently in pre-production. Good. I want a sequel to Alex Cross, and I hope it's called Double Cross. It is. It is. Sure. It is called Double Cross. Oh, oh really? Honestly, honestly, uh, I, I am. I am 99. I'm going to check this. Uh, Prior to the film's release, it was announced that Double Cross would oh, be adapted fantastic. into a film with Perry reprising his role. Fantastic. It is called Double Cross. So this originally was just called was was just called Cross, but then they decided to call it Alex. Cross. And in the UK, it's actually been marketed as James Patterson's Alex Cross. Yeah, it, it should have been called Alex Cross is Cross. Yeah, that that would have been. I I would have just been fine with Tyler Perry as Cross. Yeah. <laughs> Because he is so cross, he's so angry. Uh, but they they just they do so many things in the second half that you're thinking they don't even need to do that. There's like <laughs> there's I I yeah I mean there's a bit where they break into their own evidence room, like they <laughs> yeah. plot this really elaborate way of breaking into their own evidence room, which is it, it it's sublime. It's it but, the, but like 
it, it's a hurt so good film if ever there was one. To do that, they seem to use their own equipment to break into it. Surely there's somebody who goes, well, how evidence locker got broken into? Really? Because um, Alex Cross and his partner, Tommy, um, they're, they're, the, the, the little PDA things they had, the, all the schematics for the evidence room were on those. That we downloaded it for them earlier. Yeah. Oh. Well, ah, oh, just people just watch it. It it's brilliant. It is. It is. It is gold. And I mean, like this is stone cold sober. Watching it in the middle of the day, just laughing my ass off. It, it, yeah, I was exactly the same. It, it and John Reno is so fat. Oh my! And also the John Reno plotline is hilarious. Is great because like the first half is this build up of these like multinational co- companies and what's going on. Why is Matthew Fox targeting these people? And then the film forgets it for about forty minutes, and then the last five minutes is resolution to yeah. that. <laughs> it just and, and also as well, um, it, he he only gets paid like three million for doing all these hits. Including an incredibly elaborate one involving a train. Yeah, and you think, well, that's not, that doesn't seem like that much money for what he's actually doing. You know, you'd think that he would sort of, you know, like, maybe take that necklace that apparently is worth half a million dollars. Yeah, no, I don't know. Oh, and also, one last thing as well. Why did he put the clue in the painting? Yeah, there's no reason for him to do that. And he's like, oh, you found my clue. It's like, but it wasn't, you think he he folds the bit of paper up, but he doesn't even fold it straight. It's like on a fucking angle. But I mean, he's a contract killer. Why is he trying to give clues to his identity? There's a a great line of, 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 no matter matter which which, uh, angle you've thought of, he's already thought of it. Apart from disabling the tracker in his Chevrolet. And oh god, yeah, and that. It, 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 it glorious, glorious. <laughs> Beautiful. Right. Uh, right here. I'm, uh, I'm just going to get a beer, sorry. Cool. I'm, uh, I can't hear you, but I'm, uh, just walking over to my fridge to get a beer. I'm leaving this in, I, by I, the I way. Could say, I could say whatever I wanted to about him right now, couldn't oh, I? The beauty of doing this in my fridge. Just going to get a baby, oh. yeah. Oh, look, look here, he's naked right now. Oh, yes. He's probably erect. That's the one earphone. Okie dokie. Hello? Hello. Right, go on then, what is your one old or one new? Uh, I'll go for my one old, which is actually the only um, old I've um, I've watched in, in the past week. I've been uh, making a bit of an effort to get through some uh, 2012 stuff, and I was also away for the weekend, so uh, did a uh, uh, did a day without films on <coughs> pardon me on Saturday, which was quite something. But uh, my apologies. Um, but yeah, my my only one old for um, this past week. Um, got the Nightmare on Elm Street Blu-ray box set um, for fourteen pounds, which was uh, pretty good online uh, a couple of weeks back. And um, I watched uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 um, last week, but I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 Dream Warriors. Uh, wow. Yeah. Which I, I hadn't seen in a while. Uh, directed by Chuck Russell, um, starring um, uh, Heather Lagenkamp, uh, Patricia Arquette. It is, it's, yeah, it is Patricia Arquette, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Larry Fishburne and um, others, or Lawrence Fishburne. Special appearance by John Saxon. Um 
Dream Warriors. I had a hell of a time with this. I enjoyed it far more than I remembered enjoying it. And it just, it's, it's really, I, I was impressed at it by, any, by anything, by its scale. I was surprised at just how kind of pushing it is. Both with the, the, the dream sequences. And I mean, like the dream sequences in part two are very just standard boilerplate kind of stuff. There's not really a lot in there. I mean, it's kind of mixing up like body horror kind of things with it. But part three, it kind of goes all out. And um, I, it, I mean, it is the film that kind of introduces the, the Freddy as the, the, the wisecracking guy, even though in this it's still evil wisecracking like it's yeah he's not quite become a full-blown comic character yet no i mean like welcome to primetime bitch he does it with this really scowly creepy voice and they're like what a rush it's a really disturbing kill where like his fingers become needles and she's got all these like puncture kind of wounds in her fucking arm and it's it it's really really rough but i mean like that that I, I do like the scale. I mean, if if one thing doesn't work, it's probably the the the, the wizard sequence. In fairness, like yeah, that, that's that. kind of brutal. Um, but I, I I appreciated the scale, and I liked the the far ranging plot as well. Like the fact that as well as the dreams, there's a lot of real world stuff going on. And I'd completely forgotten the fight with the, the stop motion Freddy corpse. Uh, or Freddy Skeleton, I thought that was fantastic. Um, you know, John Saxon versus Freddy Skeleton. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's it, it's certainly one of the most imaginative of the um, Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, but I mean, it does feel like one that had a, like a real artistic push behind it. I mean, like I believe. Until New Nightmare, this was the last one that Wes Craven really had any involvement in whatsoever. He co-wrote it, and um, yeah, and um, I think also, if I remember correctly, is this the one that Darabont worked on as well? Yes, I believe I, I believe it was written by Wes Craven and Frank Darabont, which um, you know, I mean, I think it just shows in the sheer quality. I mean, Wes Craven's not like Wes Craven is not the be-all and end-all when it comes to horror. I mean, like in a way, if it wasn't for Scream. I don't think anyone would give a fuck about Wes Craven anymore. He just, he managed to hit a zeitgeisty thing there, but he's quite like, everyone's firing on all cylinders here. I mean, he's even got the most recognizable tune out of any of them from Doc and the Stream Warriors. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't have too much more to, to say about it. I mean, we spent quite a bit of time on Alex Cross and I mean, like every, I'm sure everybody's seen Dream Warriors, but I was surprised by, um, just how well it's held up, really. I mean, especially considering part two is so retardedly dated by this point. <laughs> the, the fact that part three actually, you know, apart from a few elements, like it, it still still works pretty well. I, I, I was very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I'd like to say it, it's probably, with the exception of, um, of the first of Nightmare on Elm Street, it's the one I go back to, to more often than not. Um, because it, it, it is really of all the sequels, um, it, it's for me it's the standout sequel certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so right, we'll move on to your one old Mark. Uh, my one old um, continues my Christmas theme. Uh, it is one of only two um, 
rewatches that I did this week. Um, but seeing as it's Christmas, I thought I'd talk about this. I watched a uh, 1996 um, wonderful Arnold Schwarzenegger film, Jingle All the Way, which of course um, has a horrid reputation. Um, but he's, he's, I think, one of those films that's that's possibly due a bit of a reevaluation. I think it's. Um, its comedy and its um, its satire uh, has kind of it seems more relevant now than it did at the time. Uh, I mean, it was the idea of uh, in Jingle All the Way, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a character who is very much a workaholic, and he promises. Well, he tells his wife that he's got his kids, um, Jamie's. Um, he's got the main Christmas present. Which is this um, toy, uh, Turbo it's Man. a Turboman action figure, and he says he's got it, and he, you know, it's all right because you know you can trust him. And of course, he hasn't got it, so he goes out to buy it on Christmas Eve, and it's it's the kind of um, kind of follows along the level of um, stuff like the Buzz Lightyear doll the year before was the big toy. Um, and of course, everywhere sold out of the Buzz Lightyear doll. It's, I mean, so, it, it was kind of in that time in the mid '90s where every single year yeah. there was one toy that, like, it was a big toy. Yeah, like, whether it be the uh, Teletubbies or by Buzz Lightyear, there was always one. That, like news reports would just be like, "It's sold out for months and no one can get it." It odd time that. I mean, to be honest, it, it, it is still a little bit like that. To be honest, um, there are still sort of toys that that. that that sell out that people want. It, there are a lot. There is a lot bigger scope for, for toys nowadays. But you still do get that. I know a couple of years ago, the big toy to get was this Hello Kitty um, rotator creator thing, and it was where you put this plaster into the middle of this mold. You span a little wheel and it span around to dry it, and you got like a little disc that had Hello Kitty's face on it. And we spent ages trying to get it for my daughter. Couldn't get it anywhere. And we kept basically getting laughed at, very much similar to Swatch. I guess laughed at by people who work in stores when we went in and asked for it. Um, so couldn't get it. In the end, we ended up getting it on Christmas Eve because we just happened to be in Asda buying some other stuff, and there was a big stand of them. Okay, yeah. So I picked it up and went to Becky. Went to Becky and went, "Is this the thing that Isabel wanted?" I got told, "Yes." I was like, "All right, cool." Oh, the box is a little bit dented on this one. I'll go back and get another one. Went back. This was literally three minutes later, and an entire shelf had just cleared of them. Yeah. I was like, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought, you know, it's just a box. It's a piece of shit as well. Um, <laughs> it was terrible. It didn't work. Um, so anyway, you got Arnold Schwarzenegger and um, the comedian Sinbad, who plays a male clerk who is trying to get this toy as well. And he keeps on meeting up at the same place as Schwarzenegger, and they keep having like he keeps saying there should be pals and all this lot, and he's a little bit unhinged, and it goes through. But I mean, there's, there, there really isn't actually that much to say about Jingle All the Way, other than it, it's a lot better than people give it credit for. You've got a great sort of um, cameo from um, James Belushi, who plays a dodgy Santa um, who tells Schwarzenegger he can get hold of one. Um, uh, you also get Vernon, uh, a mini Vernon Troyer in there um, and um, Phil Hartman plays a wonderful douchebag um, of a neighbour who has got the uh, a thing for Schwarzenegger's oh, wife that's right. um, and I mean 
for anybody who who's a fan of early Simpsons, um, Phil Hartman is a you know, he, I mean, he tragically was was murdered by his his ex wife um, after uh, his ex wife shot him after going on a drugs binge with Andy Dick. So not only has Andy Dick given us years of painfully unfunny comedy, he's helped take away Phil Hartman, who was a comedic genius. Mm. Of course, the voice behind. Um, the Simpsons' two greatest characters um, of uh, Troy McClure and Lionel Hutz. Um, and he was also supposed to be the voice of uh, Zach Brannigan in Future Hour. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't happen. Um, but he just gives a wonderful turn in this as just this smarmy douchebag. Um, but it's just, it's one of those films where if you've heard how shit it is, um, I maybe say this Christmas, give it a go because it's nowhere near as bad as people try and tell you it is. The majority of the times people are telling you it's shit are probably people who haven't actually seen it. I I have seen it. It was years ago. I only remember little bits, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I don't want to speak. I think you should, I think I think you should rewatch it because it is a a tremendous amount of fun. I know. I remember talking to you a couple of years ago. It was uh, Dale uh, Lloyd, uh, Viva VHS, um, who got me back onto it. Because um, I started to think that I, you know, I, I didn't mind it, thought it was all right. And he said, you should, you should really, you should give it another go, you should give it another watch. Yeah. Um, so I thought, right, I'll give it another go, give it another watch. I was like, actually, this is fucking great entertainment. I mean, the good thing as well is it's like, it's 95 minutes. It's nothing. Well, to be fair, if Jingle All the Way was two hours long, that probably would be one of the greatest cinematic crimes in history. But oh, certainly would be, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it would be definitely outstanding as well. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. But I, I don't know. To be honest, I, I like we're we're going over um, uh, Donna's like uh, parents for Christmas on Saturday. I'm kind of hoping Jingle All the Way is on one of the days before Christmas because I Donna's nodding her head in approval because I imagine it's one of those ones we we tend to just sit there and watch holy. like films. Sorry, holy. like holy. Well, the one with the bird. I've never watched that around your parents' house. I don't. I don't know whether you can hear Don. She's. I can hear Don. Uh, uh, oh, Mark says hi. <laughs> well, you can say hi. He can hear you. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> Hello. He says hi again. Paulie, the one with the um, the parrot. Yeah, the one with the parrot. Yeah. With um, Julie Rollins. Uh, she's gone. Uh, yeah, they probably. Yeah, I think it is that one. But um, like. Yes. I, I like the thing is like we'll just sit there and just like watch films and I'll just drink copious amounts. So kind of empty jingle all the way is is like that. I've already got my my put Christmas carols on Channel Four on Christmas Eve at like eleven in the morning. I already know what I'm doing next Monday morning at 11 in the morning. You know, so (laughs) it's like, I've already got, even if they're they're like, I want to watch something else. I'll just tell them you fuck off, you know? So, um, but yeah, jingle all the way. Yeah. I'd actually be up for rewatching that. Uh, right, so what was your new film that you watched? Okay. Well, we'll, um, we'll go along with basically, um, with Alex Cross, I kind of double build it the next day with another film because I've been kind of purposefully trying to find stuff in my bottom 10 list um, to kind of fill out the ranks a bit. Because I, I am of the opinion that you can only appreciate the really, really good stuff in cinema if you also watch the very, very worst. Uh, now, I will completely wholeheartedly agree with you there, which is why I watch so many bad films. My promise, my problem is, is I the films that I watch um, thinking, right, here we go. This is going to be a bottom ten contender. 
I end up really like Because that's the thing. That's what it was like with Alex Cross with me. Yeah. I didn't know it was going to be as entertaining as that. There's no way Alex Cross will be on my bottom ten. Like, oh, I mean, like, fuck me. It will probably be in my, like, my bottom 25 to 50%. You know, like, it's a, it's a high-end two for me. And and, yeah, and I mean, considering The Hobbit for me is a 2.5 out of 5... It, it it will be kind of it'll be around. I mean, I I, I do my out of ten. It, it, it's a six out of ten, but to be up for me, but to be honest, to get a six out of ten for me, you, you know, that it has to be a pretty decent film. Yeah. I mean, I watched a, a film based on a poster, a terrible poster. I'm just gonna go off on a little bit of a tangent here. Um, called Bending the Rules with um the Edge or Edge out of um WWE, and it's one of the WWE films. Uh, and it all stars Jamie Kennedy. And I watched it based on the fact that it's a fucking awful poster. I mean, it's a truly terrible poster. So I tracked down the film, got it, and it, it, it is, I'll be honest, it's troubling my top 20. Bloody Just because it was so damn entertaining. When I actually sit down, actually, because the way I do my list, um, I, I, we'll probably be explaining this on our list episode, so I'm going to be repeating myself. Uh, but the way we, I do my list is I basically list everything I've watched and then basically start at the top and then sort of start moving stuff up and down like that. So eventually I have a one to whatever I've watched, whatever number I've watched from that year. Yeah. So I rank everything. I don't just pick out a top ten. I'll rank everything going right the way down and then the top ten are my ten, the top twenty my twenty, and the bottom ones are my bottom 10 and that's how i that's how i do it it gives me that idea and i feel when i make the list this will probably be sort of thoughts or something like that but if i was to sit down and say so i of the 20 films that i enjoyed most it'd be something as terrible as that yeah yeah no i mean yeah exactly no that's that i think that's a very very healthy way of doing it to be honest. and every now and then like bending the rules or whatever it's called it, it surprises you mm. so um one film that didn't surprise me uh, because it is uh, tied for my uh, tied for my worst film of the year, along with Project X. <clears throat> Sorry, Project X is um, a film that's kind of similar to Project X in a way because it's it's basically it's like a mainstream aimed comedy, which I think is incredibly depressing and disturbing. And I mean, we're go- we're going to get on to talk about the BBFC in a minute um, about about their reports of sexual violence. It's films like Keith Lemon, the film, that make me more concerned for its effect on society as a whole. And I, I'm not—I'm actually not saying that flippantly. Um, genuinely, I would be more disturbed by a teenager watching Keith Lemon, the film, than I would something like Antichrist. And I mean that. Because I I I I I haven't seen Keith Lemon the film. Um, I probably never will. Um, just the basis of the fact that I know Keith Lemon. Um, it originates from an ITV TV series, and I will not watch anything that has anything to do with that TV channel because it. it I I the so many more things that I could spend my yeah. time doing. Um, but yeah, I, I I from what little I know about him. 
which is very little I know that he's a character created by the same guy who created Avin Merriam. Yeah, that's about and it. like did Bo Selector and 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 yeah. things like that. So which are not going to mean anything to non UK viewers, but uh, uh, but good for you, frankly, non UK viewers. Yeah, uh, you are really not missing anything. No, so I mean, basically, like I didn't really know anything about Keith Lemon myself, really. It just like he, like he does that celebrity juice thing um, on on ITV2, which people seem to find hilarious, and. Um, and he's also like he he's a mainstream celebrity. I mean, he even had this. Um, I, I kind of like looked him up afterwards, and he even had this like uh, Saturday night kind of like early evening thing called Lemon Aid um, a few months back. And like the, the thing is, but like like, like I mean, I'm kind of getting into the BBFC thing a little bit. But like the way that like people say they're worried about the 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 effects of um, kind of rationalising sexual violence and thing, it, 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 things in, in certain films. Keith Lemon, the film, makes it, it... It's basically 80 minutes of this really pathetic little man like running around, fucking over his perfectly nice and, weirdly enough, rather attractive girlfriend... So that he can, um, like ejaculate liters of spunk all over Kelly Brook without even being touched, just the mere thought of her, um, making knob gags for pretty much the like pretty much every single line from him is a double entendre, and it just makes me think that like. I'm sure in like the the mainstream ITV stuff, he's he's somewhat censored, but the fact that it's someone with this general kind of ethos and attitude, kind of like even if even if it's comedic, this kind of approach to women, which is which is seen as acceptable to even laugh at, it it like it, 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 it just makes me wonder, like people, like impressionable people watching this film. Like the BBFC report again, I'm spoiling the, that somewhat, but like so it says it's a lot of people talking about how they how they're not too bothered about it themselves, but they're bothered about impressionable people watching these things and how they interpret it and and uh, like how they sit they get validation from it. This basically it essentially validates fuck over ev like your girlfriend, even if she's a perfectly nice girl if you can spunk all over some hot famous person. And like the the films like even though there is a moral message at the end of the film, it's basically somebody getting famous for doing absolutely nothing and being celebrated for it and being salivated over by a variety of hot women. And it made me feel genuinely ill. And like the like Films don't really make me ill. Project X made me absolutely furious. At, like, apoplectically furious. Pro- uh, uh, Keith Lemon just really, really weirded me out that this... And, I mean, I know, like, bawdy humour is, like, a staple of, U- of, like, just UK comedy and kind of sensibility, but it really weirds me out. And it creeps me out that somebody who comes up with Keith Lemon is that popular in mainstream society. And I think that these views 
on women and a very, very big vein of misogyny running through the entire thing is given a 15 and seems to be deemed like, okay, reviewers say it like film critics say it's shit. But in the end of the day, there's a lot of normal multiplex people going out and watching this film and laughing at it and taking issues of, I know it sounds like I'm taking this very seriously, but these are the kind kinds of films that young people watch yeah, I mean, I mean this, this this is aimed more at the people um, that this the new report is kind of is claiming are at risk. This film is specifically aimed at that impressionable age person. Yeah, um, it is talking to them. It is a character that is not only within a film; he's also got a. TV show, yes. more than one TV show it would seem, it wouldn't surprise me if he's got some kind of comedic charity single out for Christmas, yes. or something like that, he's probably got a shitty book, or something like that it, it, there is so much of this being forced at people uh, and they, these young impressionable people are being told, this is what comedy is, I mean, this, is this, this, this is what's, this is what's funny and it, it and they go yeah yeah it is isn't it oh it, 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 it's funny to have this this vein of misogynism and and you can see it happening in people and like I say I know very little about um, about Keith Lennon because I, I tend to avoid anything uh, that's popular in British culture because it's usually shy um, but I'm guessing he's got some kind of catchphrase that he uses all the time and I'm guessing I've probably heard this catchphrase a hundred times and not known who it is and. Because, of course, I don't laugh at these things. I never acknowledge them. Because if I do, somebody might say to me, oh, you know, it's, it's Keith Lemon. And then I have to go, fuck you. Yeah. Um, and then, then that makes me the bad guy, apparently. Um, which is making me sound horrendously pretentious, but that's only because I am. Um, but, yeah, I, I just... I, 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 I struggle, to be honest, to, to work out how people can find stuff like this amusing it's the same as i i don't know how people can find peter k amusing i don't know what it is that is funny about these people i mean peter k is a man who made a career on on pointing out that garlic bread is a bit foreign yeah it's it it, it is it's it's cabaret working men's club saturday night comedy um that when I was being force fed and it, it's the sort of thing where people aren't watching it uh, because they want to watch it they're watching it because it's on TV at the time they will watch TV you could put a duck taking a shit at the same time as whatever celebrity juice whatever it is that he's got you could put it on at the same fucking time and if you gave the fucking duck a clever little catchphrase people would start wearing t-shirts with the duck taking a shit on it um, saying I quacked that one out or something like that it, people would yeah. watch it because these type of people are not they're, they're not, watching it, not watching it because it is funny, they're watching it because somebody else has told them it's funny that's, yeah and, and that's that's essentially it and I mean like I, we'll, we'll move on but yeah you're bang on and the thing is Keith Lemon the film it's got I mean, obviously, it's got no cinematic flair whatsoever. It doesn't justify any, like, a- any way being up on a big screen. I mean, it's, 
it, 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 I, I, it just it's really really depressing and like you say it's working man's club and it's it's working man's club cinema for the working men's club like uh, 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 attendees of 30 years time it, it, yeah, it, it is yeah it, I, I would say right now it, it, it is being it will be a stocking filler for um 17 year olds who have more than likely had sex in some kind of club toilet by now that's that's about yeah that's about right and um they'll be getting bought it off their girlfriends as they buy their girlfriends a uh, box set of the only ways and and Lisa's album or something like that you know it's just yes and you know what i I found out only a few weeks ago that towie is the only ways essex didn't know Good for you because I knew that and I feel bad. And I mean, the thing is, I mean, like, I, 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 there might be some people who are saying, "Who the fuck are these guys to say all this stuff?" It just, I don't know. It, it there seems to be. It, it does. It increasingly worries me and it makes me feel like a very old man. But it, it, it just, it seems to me like intelligent comedy is dying yeah, well yeah but uh, british intelligent comedy is dying correct also like just i don't know that it, it, it it's like people and organizations and whatnot are getting are getting like witch hunted like the bbc's obviously gone through a terrible time recently you know but you look at the kind of the sexual attitudes uh, 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 and, and 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 kind of insinuations and things that are, are, are done through other like media and, and and like other media outlets and whatnot, and I mean like obviously you know the Sun with like page three and whatnot, but it weirds like when you step back out of it, it weirds me out that a page of a of a woman flashing her tits is acceptable when you know there, there's there's in a mainstream daily newspaper publication when. Uh, the cover of, like, say, like FHM or something. The cover of FHM will be covered up, or something like that. Yeah. It just, I don't know. It, that's that's going on to a whole different fucking like uh, conversation. But it there's there's a weird hypocrisy at work in society, which Keith Lemon, the film, if it was doing it knowingly, would be a piece of subversive art. But it's obviously not, and mm. it's an incredibly soul-crushing experience for it. Anyway, are we done? I, th- I think we're done. I think, I think we've, we, we've done the most extensive talk about Keith Lemon on any film podcast. Straight, straight up, but that's what you come to do in a monkey for. So, discussion. Okay then, folks. So, uh, discussion for this week. And, um, I don't know, it's been a bit of a hot topic on, on the net, especially amongst kind of UK horror genre tweeters um i think it was last tuesday um the bbfc put out a press release uh along with uh, a study that they've done um and basically headlines all over the place were saying uh the bbfc is basically well basically i mean well twitch.net uh very good genre site came out with the headline bbfc promise more censorship um uh, brutalishell.com started off their article with um, uh oh BBC to review uh, BBFC to review sexual uh, sexual violence guidelines 
And the, the BBFC have been seen as the big bad. And, you know, whenever anything about censorship comes up, people seem to be very much, oh, it's the BBFC doing what the BBFC always do, blah, 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 blah. And this- Yeah, they're very quick to, they're very quick to pounce. People seem to have this thing where they, they it's just at any point possible, they want to get in a little jab at the BBFC. And yeah, and, and I will say straight off that I am very quick to pounce on people who are critical of the BBFC, which in a way might be equally as valid slash invalid delete as applicable. Um, and, and, and I'll say that I'll say that straight up right now. But I right first of all, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name any names on on Twitter. If you've followed my tweets and seen who I've been talking to and whatnot, who I was talking to about this last week, you'll you'll know who I might be referring to. And but I don't want to call anyone out and just like start start slagging them or anything like that. But basically, the BBFC have done uh, like apparently they do it every ten years a. Um, uh, well, at least the last time they did it was 2002, an analysis about whether their rubric for how they uh, how they look at sexual violence in films and um, whether they should be uh, cut or banned outright, um, and, and violence in in and violence uh, just in other forms as well, uh, just to make sure that their guidelines are still reflecting the uh, the views of the time. And this uh, this study. Uh, was was released with this press release saying that the, the BBFC are going to review their policy. And accompanying it, with, it was a 62-page PDF, uh, which I believe we have both read in full. Is that right? Uh, I've read it majority of it in full. Um, I, I kind of I missed a few bits because I was reading it at about 2 in the morning on Friday. Fair play. So I, I, I'm pretty sure I've read it all, but I, I might have missed a few bits. Now, the thing is, a lot of the people who are reacting to this and saying, oh, more censorship, more censorship. Well, there's one person I know in particular who was complaining very loudly about this on Twitter last week. But when I tweeted that particular person, the link to the the actual 62 page report said he didn't need to. Um, he didn't need to see this, and why should he read the views of a government-backed uh, organisation, which then got onto a, a, a big old discussion? Um, that's who. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, they're going to a big old thing, but that's, it's not really about that. Now, the, the basically. The whole point of my argument with this is that, and I, I was actually listening to uh, the Kermode uh, podcast from uh, last Friday where he, he mentioned this, kind, kind of in passing, but um, uh, he did mention it, where he basically said, loads of people have been tweeting him saying, what do you think of this? It's outrageous. How dare the BBFC? And he looked at the report and he was like, well, they're basically saying that what they've been doing over the last 10 years is broadly what the public have wanted us to do and that very very broadly we're going to be keeping things how they are and upon reading this while i will say there are a little uh, there are a few question marks with the way the research was done and how it's presented in here in in this pdf it very it very much says 
the BBFC aren't really going to change anything. They're just going to look a bit more closely about how the effects of sexual violence, uh, like the public have expressed uh, a worry that more impressionable people are going to be affected by this, and especially considering the fact that people can now re-watch things more than ever before. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, but that's kind of it, you know. Yeah, I mean, what what I kind of got from it was that a um, nobody's commended the BBFC on the fact that they do these reports once every sort of um, ten years. Because what you've got there is you've got an organisation who is not simply just going to wrestling florals and say, right, this is how we do things, set out in stone. What they what they basically they do this for is because society and how we view cinema now is so different to how we viewed cinemas only ten years ago. You know, that's that you know, to put it in a context, that's when Spider Man was released. You know, that's only sort of going back to there. Uh, but how we view cinema now, it is very different because you have these different zeitgeists and these different movements that come through. You know, ten years ago, the phrase torture bomb didn't exist. Um, and now we've, we've moved through that, um, the, the, the torture bomb thing, which, which itself is a, a bit of a, a misnomer. It, it, it's very misleading because... The whole thing about torture porn is there's no sexual meaning to the, to the phrase torture porn. It is films about the revel in human torture. There's no sexual sexualization of it at all. It's not um, it's not films that torture semi naked women sexually. That's not the porn bit. The bit is it's it, it, it's pornographic in its depiction of the gore and the reverence. Um, that that people have for this, and it's it's that, and I think that that people have missed the reasons for why the BBFC, the BBFC haven't done this to go right. We're going to do this because then it gives us an excuse to in future censor this and cut this and ban this. They're doing it as much to say, well, hang on a minute, let's look at, you know, let's maybe we need to look at the way society views this because they've seen these films. Now, so what what we deemed what society deemed being offensive ten years ago maybe isn't as offensive now. And I'll take a it's a non-sexual film, but um, for instance, a film that's around sort of twenty-five years old, Trading Places, you know, comic classic and all you know, and everything like that. You go back and watch it now, and it's a horrendously quite horrible racist yeah. film. It's funny, but it's horribly racist. Now, that was released in 1986, I think. In 1996, that probably still... It's still going, ooh, that's a bit, it's a bit on the edge. In 2006, um, you might not have thought it was that bad. But now, you go back and watch it in 2012, 2013, uh, it, it, it has that, it had a different potency to it, and you stop noticing certain bits of comedy and start kind of going that's that's that's, that's beyond what, what it should be, um, and I think you've got to look at that we, we view um, 
day. The whole thing, the whole big blowout thing is the sexualized violence thing. Like and I think that um, we, we view these very differently now to what we did 10 years ago. And its position in cinema has changed. So it's good that the BBFC are acknowledging that and looking at that and looking at the way it affects cinema goers and the way that they feel about it. And although I don't agree with censorship on a whole, I don't agree. I don't agree with it. I'm, I'm an adult. I should be allowed to choose what I what I watch. I do think that we do need um, an organisation like the BBFC um, to not to morally guide us or anything like that, but to inform people about about these contents and stuff like that. If you've got somebody who is just making um, a sexually violent film for the sake of making a sexually violent mm. film. I have no problem with the BBFC saying, do you know what? Sorry, no. You know, I will, you know, for instance, Human Centipede 2 is a big one that came out of it. That movie is an absolute piece of shit. Yeah. It's a fucking terrible, terrible, terrible movie. The BBFC should have banned it for being shit, not for its graphic content. Now, people always say, oh, well, the BBC, they, they, they cut it and everything like that. I don't want to cut it because I should be able to choose to see that. But I accept the fact that sometimes they have to be there to kind of make an example to say, do you know what? No. They didn't cut Antichrist because it's a different it's a different type. The sexualized violence in something like Human Centipede was done simply to be sexual and shocking. Yeah. It wasn't there was no artistic merit to it at all. It was ugly, it was pointless, and it was, it wasn't even, it, I wouldn't even give it the phrase nasty. It was just indulgent. Mm. And that is the worst type of thing you can do with something like that. And the thing is, as well, I mean, like, I, I, and, and the stupid thing is, I'm sure Tom Six doesn't have a problem with the BBFC, because if it wasn't for the BBFC, There'd be a lot less people talking about the human. Like the, the report itself says, the Human Centipede Two was like basically the one that was most known about by the participants prior to them watching it because of the publicity surrounding it and how the BBFC initially banned it. You know, which, which I think is fascinating. And I mean, like that—that's exactly it. I mean, like with Antichrist, it made me laugh with. With Antichrist, which and I thought it was quite funny as well that there's um, there was this article that like um, people were linking to where like somebody was like really slagging off the report and like saying like uh, you know what the kinds of people who are watching it say these things about the films. But somebody uh, like they were saying about Antichrist that you know they actually found it slow and boring, you know. But I think that like the, this article that people were were tweeting me, I think was kind of like it was slightly missing the point. It was just like okay, so what you want, so you actually want like like film reviewers to go in and watch it? Yeah, it, it like it's not that's not a balanced might like group of people. If it was just forty people who talk on the net and then like it did the study like or 40 horror fans you know the yeah. point was it's people who would be all right with watching these kinds of films who or just aren't fussed about them like that same thing that i can't remember what the fucking website was that like that that, 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 that had this article but that, what they don't say is that the 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 study 
specifically did not include people who said they would never watch these kinds of films because there's no fucking point in getting people who have never watched these kinds of films and have no interest in actually taking in these films. No, they're predisposed. They're predisposed. Um, to sort of already say, oh, I don't, I don't like. Oh, I get. I or like yeah, exactly. It's people who would say, I give it a go. Yeah, but by the same, by the same token, you know, you've got to, you've got to look at the other spectrum of it. Um, you've got to look at the other side. You know, the BBC has to. They can't look at it and go. They couldn't grab somebody coming out of a screening of something at Frightfest and go, oh, do you mind just coming and watching yeah, this? Yeah, exactly. Because that person is predisposed already to go to sit down and, and watch whatever they you know what whatever they want. You can show the sickest shit at them, and me and you, for instance, could watch pretty much anything and see either the value in it and an artistic value in it, or come out of it and say, "Well, that was a piece of shit," and start slagging off how unartistic it was. It wouldn't. It, it it would either get us in the way it's supposed to get us, or we'd laugh at it. And uh, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I I would be inclined to say that after Fright Fest this year, and some of the films that played there, and some of the reactions of some of the people in the audience, I think it might. I I, I think the BBFC's aim of not censoring. But making like having a moral kind of responsibility to make sure that that films that are shown do not have content which could, you know, potentially psychologically damage people, I, Mm. I, I think is an important thing because they're, you know. As, as we kind of we joked about at Fright Fest, the whole thing about Fright Fest this year is that it all got a bit rapey. It did get terribly rapey. And like an awful lot well I, I think well not an awful lot there was some of that that was there for shock's sake you know and mm. I mean I, I you know I, but then a film like the, the remake of Maniac I think was a very very intelligent way of, of showing this person doing this stuff and showing how damaged they are and and articulating that damage and then that made the violence all the more disturbing for it, you know. I, I, and mm. I mean, I, it, it's just, I think, I, I, it, like, I, I think with the whole torture porn thing and like how horror filmmaking has gone, it, it, it might be, it might be prudent to actually look at some of these things and actually, and I actually do question. All right. What is the actual brass tax value of this? Like you were well, saying with Human Centipede. Also, as well, I'll, I'll throw another one from Fright Fest. Um, just using these, these are good examples. We're not using these because it, it, it's just these are the type of films that, the, that this report is meaning. You know, these are the type of films um, that that people are considering are under threat. Um, I would use an example of something like, for instance, VHS. I will go back to it and I will give it a rewatch at some point because there might be something I missed. But there's a certain insert scene where um, a woman's top is pulled up. Is that towards um, the start? It's the start yeah. and it's repeated at the oh, end. Now, this action is, is, is shown repeated. 
at least three, four times to the point of when I thought, do you know what? I don't need to see that woman's breasts again. And it's at that where maybe, you know, maybe, you know, the BBC shouldn't be saying to filmmakers, and they most certainly shouldn't because they're not filmmakers. They shouldn't be then going to a filmmaker going, you know, that bit where you have this repeated, yeah. Could you maybe just cut it down from four shots to three shots there? Because that's asking them to change it aesthetically. Yeah. Um, but maybe if, the, if they have a certain set out kind of idea and a, and a, and a code that they can look at, and maybe filmmakers look at it and go, maybe we are doing this a little bit just to show these movies. And, and, and so yeah, maybe maybe the, maybe 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 the artistic life has gone. And I think that there does. I, I I have a severe issue with a certain type of of horror filmmaking and filmmaking in general, where I have a, I have a very very low tolerance for it, and it's the frat boy filmmaking. It, my tolerance is so low for it that that it, it angers me because I because one who's very strongly associated with it is Eli Roth, and um, he of course made the Hostel films, which are were like the first kind of um, the first films to celebrate their torture partners. Um And I, I think that my frustration there is, I think Eli Roth is a great filmmaker. I think he, there's a great film in him. And I think he, he knows the genre, and he knows the tropes, and anything like that. Yet, he always ruins it by going, Titties! Halfway through his films. Yeah, I mean, I... Yeah, I... I... I, I, I certainly see what you mean, but I mean, like, I, I will say I've actually got a, 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 a fair bit of time for Hostel Part 2 because I think it, it's quite a clever deconstruction of what makes people actually want to oh, watch yeah, these well, films. I, I would agree I with Hostel, though. Uh, yeah, I, I must admit, I don't mind Hostel 2 for a lot, a lot more than I like Hostel, which I was one of those films where I was very excited for and then fucking loved it. Yeah, but I, I, it, I don't know, it just... I mean, I suppose maybe uh, wrapping it up slightly, but I mean, uh, the, the BBFC report, I mean, basically it says that um, uh, people are okay with violence as long as it's justified by the context of the story and they would very much prefer having moral comeuppance happen at the end. Um, when violence gets too silly, in quote marks, it, you, it, you, you switch off and you become desensitised. It just, it's stuff. It's basically stuff we already know. And also, interestingly, the full films that the people were made to watch, and even, I mean, what I will say, problems with the study, the study group, it was only like 40 people, which seemed kind of small. And the way that kind of like mm. the more extreme quotes are kind of highlight, highlighted in a, a higher, in a larger font and with different colours seems a bit weird. But going back to it, in the end of the day, the full films you've got the BBFC classification and what group would classify them. In every single case, the group either agreed with the BBFC or were more lenient. And, yeah. you know, in the end of the day, I think that's telling. And I think that coupled with the fact that this report doesn't really tell us anything we don't already know, apart from the fact that people are starting to get more worried about the... Sexualised violence. Yeah, and yeah. the messages for the younger viewers watching this stuff. I think that there, there's, there's one particular film, and I, the thing is that, that I think that, that 
a lot of the time, as horror fans, uh, which we both are, we become very personal about this, and we see this as being, whenever something like this happens, we see it as, oh shit, we're going to go back to the fucking Mary Whitehouse um, Obscene Publications Act, we're going to, you know, we're going to start having films banned, we're going to have to go back to, you know, we're not going to be able to buy a nice copy of something on, on Blu-ray that maybe is a little bit disturbing, we're going to have to buy the German copy or whatever, something like that. Um, but in the past, sort of, I, I very much like you, I, I stand up for BBC on quite a lot of things. I think that it's very, very rare they tell us we're not allowed to watch something. Um, it's happened a couple of times recently, and I hope it doesn't become a trend. Um, but I do think on a film in the past five, six years, there's one film I think they got drastically wrong and they undergraded. Um, and it, it happened to coincide with my nephew being around sort of a couple of years younger than it um, and it was The Dark Knight and that came out as a 12 and I think that that is a that's a 15 film for me the, um, and it, that kind of I think you, you can sometimes you can get caught up in looking at the wrong thing uh, and I think the BBC in a way are they're looking at the sex life class. I, I agree with that. The, it is something that has to be kind of looked at and, and monitored. Uh, but also, as well, I think the psychological horror uh, and intensity of a lot of sort of 12 films that are floating around at the moment can be a little bit too much for kids when you can take a kid that's seven or eight or six to these films that's 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 exactly it um, I, it's it the, the the nature of the 12a worries me more than any of this stuff with regards to sexualized violence and i think maybe in a way that's because i'm finding that i'm i'm starting to move away from horror uh in, in general it's not quite lighting my fire the way it used to um I, I, I'm, I'm like, I just other genres are, d- are doing it f- for me more these days. Um, but th- it's the 12 a thing. It's it, it like in the end. I mean, the BBFC have actually come out and said, I think in like their annual review a couple of years back, they said that if they were classifying uh, the Dark Knight now, it would be a 15 because mm-hmm. and they've they've admitted that. And again, you know, okay, the damage is done. The good on them for actually like mere culpa in it. But um, it's the thematic thing. It is. The what's between the margins that they don't really seem to, uh, it don't quite seem to address sometimes. Like I, I mean, Casino Royale as well. Like how intense that scene where he's getting hit in the balls by the Shifra. Okay, like he's laughing it off, but like that. The only way I can explain that away is because a, like a twelve or a thirteen year old might not quite know what is exactly going on there. But I mean, like the dark Knight is the classic example of the last few years. Uh, I, it, it just, I, I mean, even though it already looks like kind of like the way it's edited already looks like it was cut for a 12. It, mm. it's, um, it, it's, it's the fact that it's the fantastical mixed with the very, very real, like even it's even like little moments. It's not like the thematic bits. It's like little moments where the mayor is standing by the window and suddenly the fat guy dressed up as Batman, like the dead body, comes smashes the into the window. It gets, it makes me jump every time. 
you know, I, it, yeah. it, it, it's... It's the, 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 the little bits, the, the first uh, um, one where he kidnaps the first, yeah, the, the guy who he dress, he dresses Batman. Yeah. Um, this, this, there's, there's little annotations in the voice and the stuff like that and the intensity of the interrogation. I just, I, I know my nephew, I think was, was he, he was 10 at the time, maybe? I remember my sister saying, oh, it's 12, I'll be all right with it, won't I? And I remember saying to her, no, I, I, if you want to let him watch it, fine. My sister very much uses me like a barometer for what um, Tyler can watch. And I was like, do you know what? No, I don't think, I, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable if he was my kid watching it. But, on the same time, I would have been quite fine with him watching something like Commando or Die Hard, yeah. which is ridiculous because those are two both 18 films and are tremendously violent and have terrible language in them. But they, they, they have a different sense and a different thematic resonance um, than, than something like The Dark Knight did. I mean, Commando, uh, Commando with Die Hard are basically boys' own adventure films that happen to feature blood and language. The Dark Knight is an adult film about adult things, but because it's a man who dresses up in a bat suit and in, uh, a bad guy who wears clown makeup, it's it's able to somehow kind of trick yeah. Which it, 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 it's it is. I mean, we're going. I would now almost review the Dark Knight, but it, 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 it's its intensity is, is, is pretty. It's it, it's part of what makes it so special. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that with with that one, the BBC definitely did get it massively wrong. Ah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I I, that, I think that I think that might be us done, but um. Yes, I think it should I mean, probably is. I, I just, I would say, like, if, if, I mean, whatever your opinions, I just think the, the hectoring about the BBFC, which, to be fair, only really happened that day, and I think maybe then people actually might have read the report and shut up. I think also it may be as much a, 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 a kind of, it's, it's shining a torch on the fact that there is very much this knee-jerk reaction into things again that we keep seeing people on about. And it's like, that was that was Tuesday's big fucking, you know, ah, everything's terrible kind of thing. And then the dust kind of settled and people went, you, you do realise that they're not saying they're going to start cutting films. That's, that's, you know, that's the thing. You, you, you're not, you're not going to log on to Amazon and go, fuck it, I want to buy a copy of um, I don't know, Hostel 2, and I'm going to go in and then go, uh, 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 this product no longer ships to the UK. That's not going to happen. They're just saying that that they're aware that the that the social consciousness of it um, is been a little bit, it's under a little more scrutiny, so they're going to have to keep an eye on it in the interests of the broad scope of the population. Yeah, uh, no, uh, yeah, that's ex- and that's exactly it. It's going with public consensus, or like, okay, whether it is. I mean, I suppose you you'd have to actually look at it. Even though, to be fair, the study was conducted by Maury, who 
you know, it's their bread and butter. They do studies like this. They are a respectable organization. It's not the BBFC picking the people. They they did they got went to an independent research body and got them to do it. You know, so it, it's I I don't know, but um, it. it it is what it is. What the general public want. It, 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 it's it's not it's not the whim of just people who want uh, want people to say, oh, yeah, the BBFC are doing a great job. Good on them. You know, it, it, it's it's actually trying to engage. And I would say, and to that person I was tweeting with who didn't want to read the sixty-two page report, I'd love to see the MPAA do something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a very that's the thing. It, it, it's a very, very, very different organisation, um, and it's a very different set of guidelines. And the way that the BBFC do things, the MPAA could learn a lot about it. Um, whereas I don't see, I don't think the BBFC could learn as much about the MPAA. It's just if you want to release a film in this country, you have to have it classified by the BBFC, unless it's on. Online. You can release it online without classification. But if you want to sell it in a store, 99.9% sure, you have to get it classified by the BBFC. If you want to do the same in America, it goes down as unrated. You have to get it done by the MPA. You know, you, you, you can, I'm pretty sure you can release stuff unrated well, yeah, yeah, I mean, um, that, that's, without having that classification. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. But I mean, like, if it, obviously, if they. Um, if they have something unrated or NC-17 in the US, it's like media outlets won't let them print ads. A lot of cinema chains yeah. won't let them take them on. Like Adam Green, when um, when he managed to release Hatchet 2 in like one chain in the US, unrated, it lasted a weekend and then it got dropped. Mm-hmm. And it got pulled in there. So, yeah. I mean, like there, there are examples of that. It's just, it, it, it kind of makes me laugh that people, you know, there are, you know, there was like US commenters talking about the BBFC but it's just like you guys always complain about the MPAA I'm pretty sure you've all seen this film is not yet rated take a look at your own at your own affairs before kind of like commenting on across the pond actually in the past 20 years the BBFC have actually done a very good job of, of allowing previously banned films to come out you know for instance, I mean stuff like stuff like, for instance, originally Natural Born Killers was banned. Now, okay, you can you can ban Natural Born Killers from Asda. Yeah, you know there, there, there are things like this. You know, it, it's it's loosened itself a lot. And all, and also, I mean, like before we move on, um, I haven't listened to it yet, but the latest episode of their excellent podcast series, uh, this this month's episode apparently actually features a discussion about this report and it does and it, it and it's like there you go they're willing to engage you know they're willing to have a conversation with this they're not a shadowy cabal of mysterious figures hiding behind closed doors doing these things without fear of being questioned they're there and waiting to have a discussion and, and i mean I, I, I am a booster for the BBFC because I think they're doing good work. I mean, the minute the minute they start doing some dodgy shit, I'll be all over them like a rash, of course. But well, I, I, I mean, an example of this. I a few years ago, um, 
when uh, um, Enter the Void was put originally, it was it was intimated that it was the BBFC that had cut it. And I, I put out an angry tweet saying that it was the BBFC. You know, fucking great BBFC are cutting a film that I was really looking forward to. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I, I got a, a, a tweet from a guy um, saying, actually, dude, it wasn't the BBFC. It was they submitted a different cut. And I t- tweeted him back saying, what? Uh, what, what, do you, what do you mean it's a, bit, it's a bit difficult and he said have you got an email address and I said well I've got an email address so I gave my email address and he emailed me a description of, of what had actually happened with it and of how this was the original cut they got sent and this was this cut and then basically sort of listed your reasons and then put at the bottom I was one of the guys who, who signed off on this that's how I know all this yeah. and that just came literally just off a tweet and I was very much like well Look, that was, this was a Sunday morning as well, and this all happened in the space of like half an hour, forty minutes. And so I was like, "Well, fair enough. Yeah, it was the it was the filmmaker, not the BBFC. I'll hold my hands up and say I'm wrong." Uh, but it was, you know, that's the openness that this organisation. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I I just, I, I yeah, absolutely, and. Um, I, I think that'll do it. I, yeah, that was good. And um, I hope we didn't piss too many people off. I mean, God damn, we're very willing to have a discussion on this. So if, if folks want to email us or, or tweet us, just say, fuck you, then, you know, good on you. Yeah. Um, and put the reasons why you say fuck you, and we'll, 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 try, and, we'll try and answer your calls. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. This country is founded by people who were in the aliens, man. George Washington, man, he was in a cult. And the cult was in the aliens, man. You didn't know that? No. Oh, man, they were way into that type of stuff, man. It was the last day of school. Uh, Miss Crawford, I was thinking that maybe you and I can get together over the summer. I mean, it'll be legal. I mean, it was the first day of summer vacation. Do you guys know anything about a party here tonight? No, sir. It was a time they will never forget. There's a new fiesta in the making as we speak. I thought it was cute. You thought it was cute, then? Do you realize when he graduated, we were like three years old? If only they could remember it. Okay. So you're not going to go to law school? What do you want to do then? I want to dance. You going to be quarterback next year? I don't know. I might not even play. You're in need of a serious attitude adjustment, young man. Super dominant male in a 50s greaser uniform. That's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older, they stay the same age. <laughs> the 50s were boring, the 60s rocked, the 70s, oh my God, they obviously suck. Dazed and confused, see it with a bud. Behind every good man, there's a woman. And that woman was Martha Washington, man. And every day George would come home, she'd have a big fat bowl waiting for him, man, when he'd come in the door, man. She was a hip, a hip, hip lady, man. Um, and uh, I think I'm going to let you lead this one, uh, there, Mark. So for the final part of 
this uh, this week's show, we're going to start off our latest marathon. Right, our latest marathon um, is going to focus on the movies of Richard Linklater. Um, we're going to study, like I said earlier, we're not going to study the the more known ones. So um, we've decided to not start with Slacker, um, just for the fact that it, it, it very much it, it is a film that is very good. I enjoy it. I like it. Love Slacker. But there's not a lot to talk about there. Um, it is very much the definition of a slacker film. It is, you might say, it's one of the original kind of mumblecore movies. I, I, um, I will just say I'm glad we're not doing slacker because I watched that for the first time this year. Wasn't very big on it. it I, I, I can quite easily see why anybody wouldn't. I haven't watched slacker since about 1994, and there is a reason. The reason is, at the moment, I really like slacker. It is a great film that I have very fond memories of I have a feeling if I watch it now, almost 20 years later, those memories will be tainted, I'm very happy with the place that Slacker has in my memory right now, so I don't want to turn it Fair play, I say no um, I, I, However, I, I am going to watch another film by Richard Linklater for later on in this series, uh, in this marathon that I haven't watched for around 10, 12 years which I'm really hoping still impresses me as much as it did back then because I adore this movie and I might um, I might not really um, have the same feelings about it now. I've never I've uh, never seen the one you're talking about. The one I just messaged you. Are we doing that one? Sorry, I haven't got those. We can either do well. This, 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 well we, to be honest, um, we can kind of go in what we're going to do. We're going to cover first of all in a minute. We're going to go through Days Don't Confuse. We're then going to, we're going to miss out before sunrise. Uh, the simple fact is that everyone's fucking seen it. Everyone's got an opinion on it and most people like it. We're then going to watch the film um, Suburbia, which is still yet to get a DVD release anywhere. This has not been released on, on DVD. It appeared very briefly, I think, on Netflix a few years ago, uh, and then didn't wasn't on again. We're not going to do the Newton Boys because it's not that great. Um, we're not. We, we're either going to do Waking Life or Tape. Now, I'd probably say we're best off doing uh, Waking Life, simply for the fact that it very much nestling with the film we're going to do afterwards, which is a Sky Darkly, because it was very much the. Um, the kind of trial, the beta run almost of Sky Darkly, and then we're going to move into the not seen, not well, not very much seen. Me and Orson Welles because a lot of people avoided it because it had Zac Efron. Do, do you know what? Um, Shall we make this a little bit interactive? Um, yes. If folks want to just tweet us, just a tweet. I won't say email. Just tweet at Dude and a Monkey with either Waking Life or Tape. Yeah. How's that sound? Yes, and then do do that. Give us either waking life or tape, and we'll cover one. We'll cover one of those, um, and you can have you know your little choice there on that. Um, but yeah, the reason why um, I chose um, Richard Linklater was because he's a, he's a, he's very much a filmmaker of my youth. Um, I grew up watching um, Slacker, Days um, and Confused, and um, Suburbia, and so. Dazed and Confused, let's get on with our first one. Um, Dazed and Confused is one of those coming-of-age dramas, um, comedy kind of dramas, that's set in the um, mid-1970s, 
on the final day of school. Um, it stars Matthew McConaughey, Jason London, as a great show from Ben Affleck. You've got a very early Mila Jovovich, um, Cole Hauser, Parker Posey, Adam Goldberg, Joey Lauren Adams, Nikki Cat, and Rory Cochran, all sort of thrown into the same film. And it is quite simply magnificent. It is one of those films where you watch it and you instantly, you can pick up on one of the characters, you can relate to one of the characters within this film. And also as well, you want to be at these parties, you want to be hanging out with these guys. Um, I watched it before I was their age, I've watched it now that I'm, you know, well above their age. And when I watch it now, it makes me want to go back to when I was their age because it's the age old thing of, God, fuck, imagine if I could go back to that stage knowing what I know now. You know, I would I would attempt to do all these fucking cool things that these guys do within this film. Um, so what, what, what do you think of Dazed and Confused? Um, so I watched this for the first time, I think maybe last year. Or the year before, perhaps. Um, so it wasn't a film that I, I, I grew up with. I was, um, I, I was very much, even though like Kevin Smith like always said that like Slacker was the film that made him want to get into films. I never quite went into Richard Linklater's um, earlier films. I was very much a Kevin Smith head um, through my kind of uh, my teenage years. Like my my VHS copy of Clerks got um, pretty much worn out and. Um, I don't know, considering how much I think Kevin Smith can go suck a very, very disgusting man's dick uh, these days, it's kind of surprising how much I loved him. But I I never quite um, uh, paid attention to Richard uh, Linklater. Um, uh, And so, I mean, I'm quite looking forward to this marathon because... I, I've got a fair bit of experience with his um, with his kind of his newer films, uh, which are I suppose are deemed the less good ones, frankly. Um, whereas with his early stuff, not so much. So like Slacker, like I say, I um, watched that for the first time this year, and Days the Confused feels like the work of someone who who took Slacker and made a a more coherent, um, less. Uh, and I'm sorry if this starts damaging your uh, your your memories of it, uh, Mark. But um, uh, less um, kind of take like high on itself kind of um, kind of uh, a, a viewpoint. Um, with Slacker, it did feel like he was trying to say a lot of um, a lot of kind of profound things through everyday occurrences, and there are yeah, I mean. It- he, he himself, Richard Linklater, says, you know, Slacker's, Slacker is one of those things, not Slackers, that's the um, terrible Jason Schwarzman movie. Um, he says that Slacker is one of those movies where he's very glad for it and what it did for him. Um, and, you know, he's glad he made it, but he says that he does look back on it and he says it is, it is quite embarrassing that it was very much this fucking coffee shop philosophy um film where he he says you know i'm there right now i think i am so much smarter than i actually am now yeah Um, and good good on him for saying that you know whereas whereas you know i think you 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 are you you can take these two um because richard linkler is a very heavy influence on um kevin smith 
Um, and I think it is, it is very much those things. Um, whereas Linklet would go back and look at Slacker like that, I think Smith has the opposite, where he goes back and looks at Clerks and kind of goes, fuck, if only I could make that kind of movie again. Yeah, if, if only I could like bottle that lightning again. Yeah, you know, I, I, I made these great movies in a row and then... You know, I I, I I still like Kevin Smith. Um, I, I I still get a lot out of him, um, and I like I do like later stuff. Um, but if you're trying to fucking compare um, Zach and Mary make a porno, which I had a lot of fun with, but fuck, it's nothing compared to um, something like um, Clerks. It's very similar. Is I, I would very much guess that. Slacker now, if I watched that now, which is why I've avoided it, I would go, oh, fuck. Yeah. Whereas I can still watch Dazed and Confused and go, oh, fuck, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Dazed and Confused is just a genuinely, like, kind of a, a shot of serotonin, but at, at the same time, it it has moments of... of, of kind of reflectiveness to it i mean particularly at the end which i suppose the most obvious example is uh, jeremy london saying um if i ever say these are the best days of my life shoot me you know yeah. but, uh, but i mean it's it just like the it, i i just i what I, I watch that scene and then them kind of like laughing about it afterwards and just thinking like it, you know it, it it's a very it, it it is a kind of an obvious sentiment, but it's a very very universal one. And I, I, I mean, it's I suppose it, it but it's appropriate for for the scene. And I think as 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 well, what what it kind of does that that not a lot of American high school films do. I I've never been to an American high school. Uh, you know, we we grew up in in England, which is a very small place um, in comparison to America. So, you know, the majority of, of, of kids in our in my school at that age, I knew all of them, I knew all their names practically. Um, and it's often portrayed in America that you have these cliques and their campuses are so vast that you can have several little cliques just sort of dotted around. Um, what this does is it breezes through that and it says, no, yes, there are the jocks and there are the burnouts and there are the the geeks but they're not the geeks the jocks the, but these all interact with each yeah, other yeah. they all know who each other is and there's not this kind of oh we're the jocks so we don't go anywhere near any of you burnouts because you're you know you smoke weed and we're you know we're American football players it's the American football players are friends with the burnouts because they go to the same school and they obviously they share the same interests. High school kids do share the same interests. Their interests are having fun, which means probably doing stuff they shouldn't do, like drinking, taking drugs and fucking. That's it. Uh, and, uh, That's all I was interested in when I was that age. I mean, I, um, in high school, well, I was interested in fucking, I wasn't doing any of it, but I mean, I got a secondary school, but good on you. Um, but no, I mean, I, 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 yeah. And a lot of weed. Well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, in sick form, certainly. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, it, it oh, sick form. I bet the US are thinking, what the fuck is sick form? Uh, but, um, 
Yeah, no, I, that, that point about the intermingling, I thought was interesting. I mean, you got Slater, who just like everybody seems to know. But then I, it makes me laugh that the only the only character who seems to be external to this is Ben Affleck's character, who uh, yeah, it, it just oh Banyan. Uh, yeah, who everyone thinks is a dick to varying degrees. But when he kind of gets his comeuppance, I didn't. I kind of thought after his humiliation, I kind of thought he was in it again. And I was kind of waiting for him to show up, but he never does. And you're like, no, I don't. That that that's kind of that's it. I mean, this is back when Ben Affleck was a was a character actor, and I I I have a genuine theory that Ben Affleck is a character actor. And you know, for his early part of his career, he played characters, very defined characters. This is very different to the character he plays in Goodwill Hunting. It's very different to the character he plays in something like. Um, more rats. You know, these are characters. It's just for the middle part of his career, he, his character became, that he was playing was Ben Affleck, who happened to be, that character happened to be in Armageddon and Pearl Harbor and Paycheck and Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of what happened to him. And then now, once, once he kind of went, oh, I'm bored of playing that character now, he kind of, he went back to being a character actor and we see him in stuff like the town and Argo and you know a little you know in state of play and things like that and it's going back to that character route and of course you've got a great you know people who keep saying oh you know Matthew McConaughey's you know he's finally you know he's shaken off the shackles of um of you know of leaning against soft stuff you know the kermodism that he he's going he leans up against stuff and he's he's thrown off that and he, he's now in stuff like Killer Joe. Well, to me, McConaughey started off doing stuff like this. Alright, 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 alright. And this is a bit what I like about high school girls. As I get older, they stay the same age. <laughs> I say, you absolute creepy bastard, yeah. you are amazing. I I would have loved to have had a friend like in fact I think I did have a friend that was very similar to that, except at the time he was a bit creepy. Yeah. Um, and I suppose he is creepy, but he's McConaughey, so he looks fucking cool doing it. And, you know, he also, around this time, he did stuff like um, Lone Star, the John Sayles film, who we will cover on a marathon, Stuart, I promise. <laughs> um, and Lone Star is an, an exceptionally underrated movie, and stuff like A Time to Kill. That's the McConaughey that I remember. That, and the now, you know, the new McConaughey, the. the rejuvenation of McConaughey um, I'd, I'd ignore the middle bit yeah no no absolutely I mean just the the cast just like it just pays dividends throughout the entire, entire thing I mean like Rory Co- Cochran is, is fantastic um, I mean Wiley Wiggins like I don't know whatever happened with him. I seem to remember some stories about him just basically thinking he was hot shit and then he turned into cold diarrhea um, and it, yeah, I think that was that was that was pretty much what happened. Uh, I think I think he invested he made quite a lot of money and invested it all in like early internet things really? in like the late nineties and lost a lot of money. Um, oh, but probably one of those things where he probably lost a lot of money but probably still sat on a lot of money. But I mean, just to have a quick run, I mean, you've got to sleep. Like Nicky Cat's great line of "I'm only here to do two things: drink some beer and kick some ass." 
and I'm almost out of beer. Yeah, good. There's so many great lines in it. Um, I it's just it's one of those things. I mean, I I, don't, I, I think you know we we it's one of those we could talk about it for hours, but we we probably shouldn't because we're hitting very close to our well we're over an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, I mean, fuck, man. I think we're over two hours now. You know, it, yeah. I mean, I like Adam Goldberg just for just for the line. I want to dance alone. Yeah. It, it, it just. I, I, it, that feels like it was an improv that they just kept in. Because well, I mean, I, apparently um, Linkletter works very much like that. He has a he has a script, um, but he has a he, he's very forgiving of actors, and he's very much like um, right. If if you think your character, you know, you control them, you created them. If you think they'd say something else, or you don't think they'd do that. I'd prefer you to say than to try and twist it so they do it. Yeah. You know, these these guys were encouraged to kind of to kind of make their own backstories and create their own personalities within it. And he, he very much wanted them to do that. I think he actually basically said to them, right, this is your character, this is what he's about and everything like that, and asked them to go back and write like a little brief bio of the character to write out, you know, what they did and like that and and sort of just to give them an idea of how to build up a character base and and i think it definitely it pays dividends that all these characters are very strong characters within the film yeah absolutely i yeah very very much agree i mean i'm just trying to think is I, I i yeah i mean you're right we could just talk about this for hours but i mean just the way it's like it, it's just like you're hanging out with these guys and there, there are arcs that some arcs are kind of, it, like the, the way it kind of encapsulates the fact that you, you can have one great night that kind of then goes on to kind mm. of set you up like Wally Wiggins in this like he, as Mitch his whole thing is like he kind of grows from boy to man in the space of one night just like through luck as much as and charm you know that, that scene where he's buying booze from the uh uh, from from the the guy in the store is amazing, but then also the fact that there are some arcs that are kind of like just picked up and you don't get that much of ex- explanation. Like uh, Jeremy London's like just suddenly um, getting off with that other girl when he's he's got a girlfriend. You know, like the fact that they've had some chemistry and then they just get it on, but then there's like it, it's just kind of left to like to pick itself up the next day even though you're not going to see it i i i, yeah, I, I like that structure there's, there's not there's not a closure on everything this isn't a i mean i, I love movies when where nothing happens but so much happens yeah, yeah, totally. and that that is dazed and confused you know nothing major happens there's no big life-changing event in any of these people's lives but there's these subtleties that run through it that you know, like you say, for instance, Mitch Kramer, he's he goes, that's it, you know, he, he's he's arrived essentially. Um, you know, you get the feeling that O'Banion probably won't be the same after it again. Um, Pink, um, Jason London's character, you know, realizes. Sorry, is it Jason that, London? I've yeah. been saying Jeremy London. I bet that's been driving people just, up the oh, wall. It might, I, I thought it would actually. Yeah, Jason London. It is okay. I, don't, I bet that's been driving people up the wall. Sorry, folks. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I, I just it, it, it's still one of those films that I could I could watch it every day and never get bored of it. I yeah, I, I I like this is only my second watch, but it's already I've got my eye on the Criterion Blu-ray if I get a little bit of Christmas money. 
you know, it, it's it's the one I'm gonna be looking at, and uh, yeah, I, it's it, it is. I, I can see now why it has the reputation that it does. I I don't know. I just I really really got into it, and if and if anyone hasn't seen it, new Netflix UK HD print that looks pretty good. Cool, right? Um, so do we have any questions? I think we do. I think you've got uh, them all this week, mate. You've been doing the fucking harvesting on that one. Right uh, here we go. Da, 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 da. Um, Uh, oh, just a few fucking um, messaging our egos a little bit there. Um, what well-regarded film would you like to see given the remake treatment? Uh, this is from Glenn C. Chapman. He says mine would be Rio Bravo. Love the film, but could do with less John Wayne and a comedy old bastard and more tension and violence. I hope just as much uh, singing, though. I like the singing in the Rio Bravo. <laughs> um, well-regarded film that could do with a remake... I'd like to see, or not. I'd like to. I'd be interested in seeing a remake. I was, I did always actually. You said I'd be interested in seeing a remake or a um, a new version of Total Recall, and then that backfired <laughs> fucking horribly um, on me when some cunt did it. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm only very fucking careful here. Um, I'd like to see. Something. I mean, I I, I don't agree with Bravo, but I I don't know. I'd like to see somebody take on something um, like um, I'd be perfectly happy to see someone remake Escape from New York, for instance. As long as it was treated, you know, as long as it wasn't some hack fucking director. But it was originally um, going to be Len Wiseman, wasn't it? Which would have delighted it you. Was. And it, and it was going to be um, Gerard Butler right. in the world of, of, of Snake Plissken. But I'd be I'd be perfectly happy with somebody um, somebody who, who has a genuine sort of love for the the material um, and wants to sort of look at it and go, Do you know what, I I, I, I want to make this this idea again. Not so much a straight on remake, but do an idea of a remake of this film again. And I'd be quite open to something like that um, also um, I, I, I don't shy away from remakes I think it, it, it's good to have these alternate views um, I'd like to see somebody do a fucking decent telling of I know it's not an actual proper movie it's a TV movie but I'd like to see um, us get a proper version of it at some point that's been in the rumour mill for a while as well I think that's going yeah, to happen one day it's one that kind of crops up, but I'd like I'm gonna kind of cheat and use that and use that as a movie because I've always viewed it as a movie, despite the fact that it is technically a two-part TV movie. I would say it's well regarded within circles. I think generally of people who have actually seen it. It was on film four a few weeks back, which blew my mind. I tweeted quite heavily about it. I would actually like to see Michael Mann do a remake of The Keep. Uh, oh yes, that because. It's a film that, to be honest with you, I'd just take a director's cut of The Keep as much as anything else, but I mean, like, a remake as well, because it's a really, really good idea, Uh, but there's just... It just doesn't quite work for me. Like, like, I don't know, like, just the, the... 
the kind of the sexual nature of it. I don't know. It just seemed a little bit out of place. But there's so much interesting batshit stuff going on in the keep that I think if Michael Mann wanted to make a horror movie, like if he just did a remake of that, fuck me, he could probably cast Ian McKellen still for God's sake. Um, yeah. Then that would be fine. Hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd also uh, not a remake, but I, I would like um, the sequel for um, Midnight Run to happen at some point. Da, ba, ba, ba. Oh, fucking! What's the tune from that? Oh, I can't remember. But it's fucking great. Ah, oh, no, I'm doing it terribly. Move on. Um, from Team Zizu, Marcus Albert, oh. uh, we have two questions. First one is, which actor makes you really not want to watch a film? Um, his is Will Smith. Um, so which actor immediately turns you well, off a film? If, if, if we can go actor or actress, was that beeping on your end or mine? It was your end. Yeah, okay, that was our... Um, no, nah, that was our washing machine. Um Ah. It's just like I kind of well, that was weird. I kind of heard it in both. Anyway, uh, if we're saying actor actress, Reese Witherspoon. Uh, I, don't, I, don't oh, know, God, yeah. I, I don't know whether Marcus knows my um, my hatred of Reese Witherspoon, but um, I refer him to back episodes of Thirty Five Millimeter Heroes for my uh, full on hatred of Reese Witherspoon. I fucking hate Reese Witherspoon. Well, I I, I don't I also unfortunately have to pick an actress, um, and mine is Julia Roberts, and I refer you to uh, episode two or three of Average Dudes, where we reviewed um, Pretty oh, Woman. That's right. And it was basically it was basically just an hour and a quarter of me telling people how much I hate Julia Roberts. Oh, we are misogynist pigs. And I, I, I will admit, I was very drunk, and I'm, I, I I said some. Really horrible. Uh, that's a pretty dark episode, actually. I remember. I actually, I, 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 I thoroughly, thoroughly stand by. Uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's not a lot of actors that out there or actresses to be honest that absolutely, completely put me off a movie. It really fucking takes something um, to, to turn me completely off. But yeah, I'm not a big. I'm not, I can't stand you, Robert. Fucking hate. Nice. Um, another question is. Um, is George Clooney the best Hollywood A-lister currently acting? Descendants, Ides of March, American, Up in the Air, etc. Um, so, can you think of a Hollywood A-lister? I'm guessing he means in terms of Hollywood A-lister and acting ability. Um, can you think of anybody else that, that kind of is, is up there on the level of Clooney? Or do you agree that, that, that Clooney is, or do you disagree that Clooney is... Um, as well as being a Hollywood A-lister and actually quite a talented actor. Um, as much as I was fairly meh on the master, I'd say Philip Seymour Hoffman's pretty up there for me. Um, he, he has quietly become a, a, a Hollywood A-lister, hasn't he? You know, he, he's he really is one of the power players. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I, I'd also um, I, I I don't know. Genuinely, I'd say Ryan Gosling. Um, I'm. I'm as much for seeing a Ryan Gosling film as I am a George Clooney film. Um, I have I, I have I have two that I throw in there. Yeah, go on. Um, one, um, Sean Penn. I think you know Sean yeah, Penn. Yeah. I have to say he's an A-lister. He might be a, um, an egotistical prick, but unfortunately he's an egotistical prick because the guy's a fucking he's a hell of an actor. Yeah. Um, and also. I, I'd throw in maybe not better than Clooney, but I'd throw in it on as a par with Clooney. Uh, our very own Daniel Craig. 
I I think he's a he's a very very good actor. Um, and I'd say he's he's an A-lister now. With you know Bond threw him up into that. You know when you look at you know sort of the movies that he's had. You know um, he was absolutely sensational in um, the Girl of the Dragon Tattoo remake. The way he screams car in that film. Yes. Yes, I, 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 I would say that, but I'm, I'm, I'm a big Clooney fan. I, I like Clooney. I think um, he seems like a nice chap, and he's, he's a very good actor. My only problem with him is, is he very much is always George Clooney playing somebody. I never get the feeling that he's anything other than George Clooney. Kind of think that's fair. I do kind of think that's fair. Um, which, which is, is a problem. Uh, but then again, I also I think Tom Cruise is. Actually a decent actor. I know I'm, I'm probably the minority on that one, but I do think Cruise is a good actor. Well, I'm, I'm going to see him try and play a six foot four inch blonde man tomorrow night, so we'll see how that goes. I, I, I think he could. I think he could. I think you might not even see him sometimes because he may be wearing a cap. <laughs> uh, and I, that, I think that is that is it for our question. Give me two seconds to make sure I've had another one while I've been looking. Um, Nope, that's all our questions nice. for this week. Uh, um, so, thank you very much for listening. If you've got to this point, I'm guessing you have been listening and you've not just skipped to the end because that would be a bit strange. Yeah. Um, no idea what we're covering next week when we're recording nope. it. Nope. Or anything because it's fucking Christmas. Uh, yeah, I mean, that. yeah, we'll, we'll sort that one out, but I we'll see how that one goes, I think. Yeah. Uh, well... Thank you very much for listening, and uh, I'll let Ian guide you through how you can get in touch with us, because um, this is his episode. Dude and a monkey at gmail.com, at dude and a monkey, at Ian Loring, at dude foz. Uh, I think that probably pretty much does it, actually. So, uh, yep, thank you very much, Mark. And, um, thank you very much, Ian. Our, thank you, sir. Our mission statement of 90 minutes has failed awfully once again, but fuck it, it's always a good chat. Yeah, man. Cool. All right. Cheers, guys. And, um, yeah, please feel free to feedback. Uh, positive, negative, like, seriously, the BBFC thing. Would love to hear your thoughts in particular, uh, personally. Certainly, yeah. And if you've got any ideas on what you'd like us to discuss, um, topic-wise, send us that in. We usually try and pick something up from within the week um, to discuss just because um, it, it's usually something that has some merit. Topical, um, yeah. There'll probably be less to discuss um, in the next couple of weeks. See how many going. Fucking Christmas! Yeah, pretty much. Right, thanks very much, guys. Good night.